I know it might not have been your ideal of a good time in Jesus and the music, but it was powerful for these students, very powerful. Um, I want to thank all the Chick leaders. A couple of them are still here. Um, Grace White, Beth White, David Pitts, Kara Harris, and Bill Goodwin all went with us to help our students to have an amazing time. We worked together, we struggled together, and we watched God work in students' lives Um, I want to also thank the students for coming. I don't know if there are any of the students here this morning now, Um, but uh, they were our guinea pigs. It was the first time that we had a chance to go to this longstanding covenant event. Um, They got a chance to uh, go with the flow and roll with the punches. They did a great job. Um, For some, this was their first uh, faith covenant event. Uh, For all of the students, they were all inspired to challenge and to shift their thoughts um, and their focus And God would shift their lives. Um, This event was an amazing opportunity for them. Uh, We all came together and were there for seven days and absolutely blessed by our God. Um, It was very, very powerful. And I'm going to share a little bit about it, but I really want to get into a scripture. Um, At Chick, we were challenged to shift our thinking, our relationships, our perspective, and, and our lives toward God. Today and over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the curriculum that came out of this Chick event uh, themed uh, shift, and we are going to, uh, we're going to talk about shifting our perspective to look at God differently and, uh, and go into some things that he has for us in that. Even, even when we're at our best in God and, and in Christ, we still have things that we can find in him to shift or change just a little bit, um, and it gives us a different perspective to him, or for him, excuse me. A shift in our life can be something as, uh, I equated it to shifting gears in a car, and I want to explain that just a little bit. Um, how many of you have driven a stick shift before? You know, there's more of you in this service than first service that said that, um, a lot of people have, have not or, or don't know how to do that. Um, and so uh, if, if you have a stick shift and you're driving along and you've got to get a little bit faster, if you don't shift into second gear, uh, bad things happen to your car if you continue to rev up the engine. And, and uh, I asked my dad for service, and, and he said, too many RPMs will break the engine. So, um, yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're able to make... It's just a small movement. Who had trouble finding it the first time, though? Yeah, some of you aren't admitting it. <clears throat> but sometimes it's hard to find that, that shift, but it's, it's, um, it's something I think that... Obviously, it's important when driving a car. Um, so there's a, just that small shift from first to second continues us on in a process with, with God as well in that idea. The criminal that was on the cross with Jesus, next to Jesus... What was, what, was, what was his movement that brought him to heaven? He shifted his head. He looked at Jesus and said, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. Another small shift that happened, Peter got out of the boat. And he was walking on water. And, and what happened? He shifted his focus down to the water. And he started to sink. Uh, small shifts make a big impact on us. If you go 60 miles, we just talked about this, but if you go 60 miles an hour in first gear in a car, you're going to destroy the engine if you do it for too long, for sure. Depends on your car, maybe. If you got a Porsche, it might not, but um, I don't, so it would destroy my car. Um, John 3.16 is an awesome first gear. 
we, we've heard that scripture before. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if we believe in him or whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We look at that scripture, and again, that is a great first gear. But if that's all we have and we don't ever shift to a new gear, then we will burn out or we will fade away in our Christianity. Absolutely. We have to shift to Romans and Deuteronomy and, and yes, even Revelation. Sometimes we have to go to those places to get um, a little bit more of who God is and go after that in Scripture. That isn't to say that we forget our first gear. We don't forget first gear because we still need it. We can use it whenever we need it. God sometimes also is telling us to shift in reverse. Um, And again, I ask you, was it hard to find reverse the first time? Probably more than second gear. Reverse, sometimes it's like halfway over and back or, you know, just depends on your vehicle. But um, when you shift into second, or excuse me, into reverse, it totally changes the direction of the car. And sometimes we need to do that with our lives. God is calling us to totally change, not just a small shift, but go in the opposite direction. Um, and just like it's hard to find reverse in a car, sometimes it's hard to find reverse when we're focused on something so much that this is where I want to be, this is where I want to go. Um, reverse means that we might have to admit that we've been wrong. We might have to try a new direction in our life, and that is hard. There's change. Those things are hard to do sometimes. Whatever the case, whether we're going forward or whether God calls us to go in reverse, we need to listen to God so that we can shift gears when he tells us to. Would you all pray with me? Great God, we come before you this morning and ask as we hear your word of truth today that it would penetrate our hearts, that we would see what you have for each one of us. God, we can't find a place to go and we can't even shift the gears on our own without your direction. And we ask that you would do that, God. Help us to see you in a new light today. Give us something new that we may, have, may not have seen of you ever before. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Um, As I said, our theme for the next few weeks is going to be this curriculum of of shifting our ideas. Today, we're going to be looking at shifting our view of our mission field or the harvest. And I want to read a scripture to you. You can find it in your pew Bibles if you'd like, or you can read along on the screen behind us. Um, Some of the words are going to be just a little bit different because I'm using the Pew Bible, and I think there might be a couple of words that are slightly different, but we're looking at Luke 10, chapters, Luke chapter 10, excuse me, verse 1 through 11, Um, and that's on page 1611 of your Pew Bibles if you're looking there. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him in every town and the place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers to go into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, and if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town that you are not, and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. 
Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and Gomorrah than that town. The word of God. So right before this section, when Jesus, Jesus says right here, he sends right bef- uh, after those things, he got the, the 72 together and he's going to send them out. Just before that, he was out gathering disciples and telling them the cost of discipleship. And uh, some of them walked away from that. But obviously some came and followed because he had 72 to send out. And now it's time for these, in chapter 10, it's time for these disciples to make this shift from watching what Jesus was doing to doing what Jesus was doing. And again, that's, it's just a small shift, but now they're doing some amazing, they're going to be doing some amazing things for God. Um, he sent, sent them out two by two, it says in that first section. Why would he send them out two by two? There's tons of reasons, and I don't claim to know the mind of God, but I would suspect that some of them were for fellowship, for protection, uh, for backup, if they for, if they got lost, they had somebody to help them. If they um, if they needed to remember something that was important to share, they would have somebody that could help them in that as well. So he sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out alone. And um, there's a portion directly after that when he sends them out. He says that he is sending sending them out as sheep among wolves. The world is not incredibly receptive to us sometimes. He's sending, he's sending his disciples out, and he knows that it's dangerous out there. Jesus knows, so he says, be careful out there. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Not everybody's going to love this message, and in fact, quite a few aren't going to love this message. Um, I'd like to look at verse 4 and take it apart a little bit backwards. Um, I'm going to start off with the second part of it. If you, if you will, we would say 4b maybe, but... Um, We'll look at chapter, or verse 4, excuse me, chapter 10. It says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. I want to start with that. Do not greet anyone on the road. I ask myself the question, why would Jesus not want them to greet anybody on the road? Um, I think it's important, first of all, I thought it was to protect you, to protect the person that is, is doing the ministry. Uh, have you ever seen Robin Hood or read the story, Robin Hood? Everybody that comes encounter in, 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 into, in the, excuse me, when they come encounter, wow, when they have an encounter with Robin Hood in the forest on the trail, was that better? I found it. Um, as they're walking along or riding along or whatever happens, uh, when they leave, they're tied up and broke, Right? You don't want to do that, so it's for protection. That's all I could think about when he said, don't greet anybody on the road. I thought of Robin Hood the whole time. I don't know. I'm not going to greet Robin Hood, especially if I have any money in my pocket. Um, But then uh, the next one is not just to protect you, but also to protect the mission. He's given them a mission to go out. Don't get sidetracked. I tend to be a wanderer in the things that I do. I can go from in here in the sanctuary to the copy machine and totally forget what I went for. And then when I get there, I have to come all the way back here and think it through again. I, I, and, and it happens when I go vice versa. I'll be in my office and I'll be, I know I've got to complete this project today. I've got to go get something in the sanctuary to, so I can finish it. So I get here and I get back and I'm working on something else, um, doing something else. And I, I just, I wander like that. I don't know how many of you do that, but I think that might be, um, that might be part of why he says, don't, don't greet anybody on the road so you don't get sidetracked from the main goal. 
Stay focused on the mission. And then we're going to back up and look at the other one. He says, don't pay, take a purse. Um, one, another version that I saw said money bag, uh, a knapsack, or sandals. Um, so why not take those things? Well, first of all, we come back to this idea that it's dangerous out there. So what do we need to do? We need to trust Jesus, that what he's sending us to is what he intended to send us to. Trust Jesus in that. And we know that God provides protection in those things. We just talked about that a moment ago. He's, he wants to protect you, and he wants to protect the mission. Um, so he's going to provide his protection for us. Um, God provides funding for us if, we, if he's calling us to go out. So we look at the money bag one. Um, He's going to provide funding for us. This year, we did an auction. We always do an auction um, for missions. And this year, it was for a middle school mission trip and for VBS, of course, and then for our chick adventure. Um, And we raised almost a record number this year. It was absolutely amazing. God will provide the funding um, when we need it. The extra money is a, is a distraction also. I think when we look at, some of it said, don't take any extra money. If you're anything like me, when you go on a trip and you have extra money or you bring extra money for, um, for something, uh, you're looking at, oh man, I'm going to have some local flair lunch, whatever is what, what they have here. We're going to have some, um, some shrimp with, with butter sauce, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Or you might be thinking of the people back home. Uh, what can I bring back for them that'll help them to remember this trip or give them an opportunity to see a little bit? I'm going to bring back souvenirs. The first thing that my son said when I got in the car last night to get home was, what'd you bring us? <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun. Um, but uh, so maybe it's also to look at the fun event at the end of your mission trip or the end of what you're going to do. Um, and, and you're thinking you're going to save a little extra money to pull that off. The extra money can easily be a distraction from the mission. It's not always, but it can be. Be aware. God provides um, those, he provides protection, he provides funding, and God provides our daily needs. When he sends us out, not only does he fund us what, what we need, but he also provides our daily need, uh, the, the things that we need every day, um, our food, our clothing, our shelter. He is Jehovah Jireh. Um, God is my provider. I'm excited to say that. And so he will give those things to us. God provides even what we say. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19. And it says, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. God promises that he will give us what to say. You don't have to get out, go out and get arrested. Um, but he does provide for us in that way as well. He'll give us what to say. Um, I've, in my life, I've had a few times where I felt like God has really spoken through me. And those are the times when I've left something and somebody's come to me and, and said, wow, that was, this piece was amazing. You said this, this, and this. And I said, no, I didn't. I don't even remember that. And when that, when those things happen, we know that God is speaking through us because I know that I, I can't say anything that cool. It's, it's God that works through us to do those things. And, and that gets really exciting when we have something to say, even when we maybe didn't think we did, or God produces those things in us. Um, when you're on a mission, watch for where God is working and join him in it. On mission trips and events like Chick, 
Even at youth group, the things that we do, sometimes we, we debrief with a statement, uh, or not a statement, but um, this opportunity to see what God moments we had in the day, or maybe in the week. And so we ask, where did you see the Holy Spirit move? Sometimes we'll say, how did you see God in other people today and, uh, or this week? And that helps those students to remember that God is working, and then it helps us to take some of that home with us. It helps us to keep focused on that mission that God has called us to. Um, so we, we've hit a couple of verses in there. I'd like to skip down a few and look at, not that I don't like them, they're all excellent verses in there, um, but I'd like to look at verses 8 through 11 and uh, just briefly hit on those to talk about them. It says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, heal the sick there, and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. When you look at that, what is, uh, it, it stuck out to me, and I'll ask if it did to you as well, the thing that is said to whether they accept it or whether they don't accept it is the same thing. Did you catch that? Tell them both the kingdom of God is near, right? Either or. And I think for those, for those who received that message, it was definitely a joy-filled message. It was excitement. It was the kingdom of God is near now, and it's coming. You, you know God's coming. It, it's amazing. And for those who dismissed what the the disciples had to say, it was a warning. It was not just a warning, but it was also an opening for them that didn't leave it in an argument. It just left it, this is the way it is. Here's the facts. I'm leaving you with the facts. That's the way it worked. And and I look at that, and I think, um, uh, sorry, when I see those pieces, God God did this, says the same thing to both groups, but he's saying this, in my life, I look at uh, an argument that I've had with, with somebody and trying to argue them into the kingdom of heaven or talk to them about what the kingdom of heaven is about. I want to win that argument. I want to win it, and that means that that person is going to be, become a Christian, right? It's not really how it works. So if I leave and I say, oh, you're hopeless, or I get frustrated and walk away and, and, and leave it at that, I think that's a big red flag that says I am more worried about winning the argument than I am about helping somebody to find Christ, helping lead somebody to Christ. But if I leave it with a God loves you, and that's where I have to leave it, or the kingdom of God is near, there's still an opening for those people to find it, and maybe even a bit of mystery that says, wait a minute, the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? They might come and ask you the question, and when they come and ask you the question, you've got an opening to share a little bit more. Um, but I think there are times in, in our lives when, uh, when, especially for me, again, that I want to win that argument, and that's a red flag to me. So be aware of that um, I want to move back as we've hit those two scriptures there and talked about the fact that whether they received it or whether they didn't, they were still, um, they were still told the kingdom of God is near. I want to look back at what the kingdom of God might look like just a little bit. So if we go back to the beginning where it talks about the harvest, would that be okay with y'all? 
I just got back. I just got back from Tennessee, y'all. So, <laughs> um, so back in the very beginning, if we're looking at that, it says it, it says the harvest is bountiful or plentiful. There's lots of different ways. The harvest is great. Um, where is the harvest? Again, it is all around us. It, it, the harvest is great. It's everywhere. Um, and I want to talk about what the harvest is just a little bit. If the harvest is not picked, and we're talking about now a, a natural harvest, a, a harvest of any of our plants, if the harvest is not picked, what happens to it? It dies or it rots, or there's, there's lots of pieces to that. If the harvest is not picked, then, um, then it definitely has the chance to rot. And uh, I, I want to tell a little bit of, uh, we have a garden at our house, and we've got some, some really tall um, sunflowers. My wife has done an awesome job in our garden, and so we've got 500 sunflowers, and uh, they're waving up. They are really tall. They're really, okay, we don't have 500, but there are a lot in our yard. And uh, she's also planted strawberries all around the front yard, and we have had bunches of strawberries this year, and I, f- I found one that was just beautiful. It was perfect. And I thought, oh man, that's a, it's a big one. It's, it's deep, deep red. And I thought, oh, that, that is, that is the perfect strawberry. Cause you see them in the grocery store and the redder they are, right? The, the more ripe they are. So I went and picked this one super red, just, just perfect. And I took a bite of it and it tasted like a slug. Oh, it was watery and nasty and just, ugh, it was way overripe. And I thought the deep redness meant that it was more ripe, but it was awful. Um, and so I realized you have to pick them a little bit earlier than that. There is an urgency to Jesus' message here. He's, he's saying this fruit is going to rot if we don't go out and do something about it. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is great. Pray for the messenger, pray for the, I heard the messengers in the song, pray for the, the laborers to go out and harvest. Um, something that else that might happen if you, don't, uh, if you don't pick the harvest straight away, it might be gleaned by something else. Um, and that's wonderful if the harvest is gleaned by someone else and that person is a Christian. But sometimes the harvest is out there and there's somebody that's trying to get uh, somebody to the other side and they're trying to reap from God's harvest, trying to steal out of his hand. And, uh, and we don't want that to happen either. Um, something that happens in our yard also, unfortunately, is uh, we have lots of strawberries, but lots of half strawberries. Um, and most of the time, it's those darn slugs again. They, they get in and they steal part of our harvest. Sometimes the birds do it as well. They come in and they steal part of the harvest and they take it away. Um, we didn't plant a garden so the birds could come and eat it. We planted a garden so that our family could eat it and we could share with others, not the birds. They're on the other team. Okay, so, <clears throat> so know that there is an urgency to it in, in Jesus' message um, as he says this, and it's, it's for those, possibly for those two reasons. Um, when we first started out with our group at, uh, at Chick, when we went, um, I challenged the students to shift their thinking to the mission field being all around us, as we've kind of talked about um, a little bit earlier. Now, the time, now is the time to see if God is calling you to a, a shift in your perspective maybe of the mission field, maybe of the harvest. Where is your mission field? Where is your harvest? Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your family, your immediate, maybe it's in your extended family. Maybe it's in your everyday encounters with people that you come across. Maybe your neighbors, 
And maybe even another country, maybe God is calling you to that. Whatever he is calling you to, we need to make sure that we're listening because he's going to speak if we ask. Send your laborers. Maybe he's going to have you be one of his laborers. I think that's really exciting if that would happen to us. The harvest is people ready to make a shift for God, ready to make a shift to God. And we sometimes need to change our perspective that there are people out there that are ready and we just haven't shared it with them yet. We just haven't had the opportunity to give them a little, a little glimpse. Um, God has started the work in them. He planted the seeds. He watered. Maybe he used someone else to do these things. Maybe he used you. But he's using you, and he's doing these things through us. He weeded. He provided the sun. See what I did there? Sun. Okay, okay just making sure. He provided the sun. <laughs> now ask him or tell him, here am I, send me. I just ask you to pause for a minute and ask God what he might be changing in you, shifting in your perspective to see maybe a different mission or maybe a different harvest. Maybe it's in a different way that you see that. So just take a moment to pause and ask God to give you whatever he wants today. I'd invite the worship team to come back up and we'll start to play as you think. we continue our worship at this time with our tithes and our offerings. Every part of what we do in the service is a form of worship, and God invites us to give with a thankful heart, with a grateful heart. One of the shifts for me oftentimes in my life is to shift my attitude from stinking thinking to an attitude of gratitude. And as we practice that gratitude, that thankfulness for everything that God does in our lives and everything that God gives to us, we are changed, and he is blessed, and we are obedient. And so you may not have something to put in the plate this morning, but you are here, and you are God's.